You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Welcome to a special Surgeons of Horror podcast. Our purpose is always to look into horror films and dissecting them one screen legend, or in this case, film franchise at a time. This is our first film uh, horror franchise discussions, which centres on Friday the 13th. Of course, we've already sat down together and spoken about the, the first of that uh, franchise films, um, which we released earlier in the year. Now we're going to look at the uh, the first sequel, Friday the 13th, Part 2. A uh, bit of background for you. Sean Cunningham had left the director's chair open for Steve Miner to come in, uh, in his place. And um, this is the film where uh, the birth of Jason really begins from this point forth. Um, as usual, much like in uh, uh, Mission Impossible, I've carefully selected my crew of horror aficionados who uh, will form the surgical team for each of these episodes. Uh, first up is yours truly, Paul Farrell, and I'm the lead surgeon on this case, uh, and I'm the host also for the series um, of this podcast. I'm a self-confessed horror freak, and I was naturally drawn to the dark elements of the silver screen, um, and I've Love going back there ever since. Joining me uh, in each of the Friday the 13th episodes will be our, uh, let's say, well, I had you down as head nurse, but let's say you turned <laughs> surgical technician in this case, <laughs> Miles Davies. Welcome, not Miles. Hello. Hello, welcome aboard, buddy. As always, a pleasure to have you. And uh, as always, when you come, you come fully equipped to the operating table uh, with an arsenal of knowledge at the ready when performing any operation. Uh, with your sense of horror and innate ability to draw on any subject, bringing in the goods and making sure that the surgical procedure is a successful one. So thank you, and without further ado, we'll uh, we'll get straight into it with uh, by dissecting what will be our second movie of the franchise, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Onka Part Two. So that, uh, for any of the new new listeners out there, the the, the gist of this is that we uh, we tend to talk through the the uh, the, the film narrative. Uh, and we we dissect it, pull it apart, and um, not always put it back together again. But um, the idea is is that we kind of have a little yeah, look anyway. at each of the films yeah. and and have a little chat along the way uh, around the plot narrative. And after that, maybe we we kind of look at a few of the key plays that uh, that make the film before we cast our final verdict. Um, so the film itself is an interesting opening to this because we see these kids, uh, a set of kids' feet trampling through some puddles. He's singing uh, "Incy Wincy Spider" as he's walking along, mm. um, and already, like this, is a, a bit of an old uh, horror trope, really, to use nursery rhymes as a and, and making them a bit scary. Um, we've seen it in a few instances. Uh, m- m- the most recent one I can think of, uh, not that it's that recent now, is Jeepers Creepers and things like that, where they've used. Uh, uh, in, that, yeah. in that case, it's more of a song, but you know, and they just kind of make it haunting in the way it's delivered. Um, the kid it's in question. It as well. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we, the kid in question, anyway, is called in by his mum, and the street is then replaced by an adult's feet, and the killer's signature theme kicks in. The that's it. Um, and and we see the feet walking towards a house. Inside the house, we see our heroine from the last uh, film, Alice. Um, and she's um, she's asleep, but she's obviously having these uh, nightmares. Um, and this is where we get like a seri- the usual like series of flashbacks occur. And it's kind of almost summing up what happened in the first film. But as the story itself picks up proper, we learn from Alice that she's been living in an apartment on her own. Um, and she means to kind of just get on with her life. Uh, she goes and has a shower before heading to bed, only to hear a noise. She goes to investigate, only to be rumbled by a cat that jumps in through the window. And it's kind of reminiscent of when Brenda came crashing through the window of uh, part one. Um, yeah. So once again, though, she does sigh of relief. And she goes to look in the fridge, only to discover the decapitated head of Mrs. Voorhees. Um, as you know, uh, or keen listeners or keen fans of the franchise know that Alice duly dispatched uh, Mrs. Voorhees by severing her head off with a machete. Mm. Um, so, yeah, she gets this. and But instantly, as soon as she sees it, our attacker sneaks up behind her and impales her through the head with a screwdriver. Ah, oh, classic. 
automatic, <laughs> automatically killing off our heroine from the first uh, first uh, series um, of the yeah, franchise. Yeah. Um, fresh blood. Fresh blood. That's it. Mm. And I quite like the bit here where I've written the cat watches and I, uh, and then our killer kindly put, takes the kettle off the kitchen hob. Yeah, yeah. I'd forgotten about that. I was like, ah, consider it. Yeah, it was kind of nice, kind of <laughs> nice. And then we get the opening credits. So, what do you, uh, what do you think of that? In uh, instantly, uh, as a viewer at this point, Miles, what are you thinking? Like, because they they offed our heroine, and you know, Alice is no longer. Well, they've done a clever recap of the um, where we're up to, basically. Yeah. Which is quite and I mean, one of the things that I liked about this one, especially, and it's always stayed with me as long as I since the very first time I saw it back in the early eighties, yeah. was the the whole post traumatic stress that she goes under. Yeah, you know, she's obviously deeply affected by this um, this traumatic experience. And um, and that, that that was never really I don't think I've ever really seen that um, done since in a horror film franchise until Scream. Yes. Um, until you see like Sydney just completely messed up in the Scream franchises later on in a, in that, but like you don't really see the after effects of a horror movie, and this is one of the first times, and you see it, it's just completely messed up. Yeah, yeah. That was a bit like Hills Have Eyes, uh, Hills Have Eyes 2 as well with Bobby. And, um, that's Hills right, yeah, that's true, that, that's that true. That sort of post stress. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like that, and I think it's probably the first time that I've seen that in a, in a, in a horror movie. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one too. But, um, one does wonder, like, because I, I can't remember if we spoke about this in the first film, but um, the actress who plays Alice, Adrian yeah, King, she... She actually went through a traumatic period uh, herself, where she had a, a stalker. Um, ah. After the after the first film. Wow. Um, and the stalker. This isn't the days where stalkers didn't weren't really known or existed, weren't really a thing. Um, mm. And this person befriended her, and became a friend within her inner circle. Um, and then you know things got out of control. And uh, the that's usually of... what happens. I mean, that, that's pretty much what's happened to that that singer recently. They got shot, uh, into a week ago. Yeah. In um, the voice, the the, the voice singer. That's right. That shot American. She she actually knew the the person that shot her. Gosh. And greeted them with a hug before she was shot. And um, so that was just you know they always know it. They always know the stalker. Yeah, that's bizarre. Hey, I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. I knew about that story, but I didn't realize the element. Uh, you know, the closeness mm-hmm. behind her. Um, yeah. So look, there's, there's a reason I mention it is because I do wonder whether how much she may have been tapping into her own emotions and thoughts at the time, having gone through a quite a harrowing experience herself. Um, mm. Yeah, but uh, and we'll get on to a bit more about her um, when we go through the players of the piece. But going back back to the film, we uh, we then kind of you know start to pick up the story. Uh, um, uh, what by they're almost wiping the slate clean by getting rid of um, Alice's character, so now they can really start afresh. There's a lot about this film though that they do tread similar territory uh, to the first mm. one. Um, I, I what I mean by that is that it's set in a camp by a lake. And they kind of basically get off one by one, you know. Um, Look, <laughs> yeah, the no, that's it. There's a form line and they're following it. I don't think they really. I think they retrod that territory many, many, many more times. In the oh, they've done well. it countless times since. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So that I don't. So they've even got the mad old guy, you know, giving them the warning later on. That's so it. That's it. it. I'm on my way there. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Yeah, and I don't. Really I mean that with every. Uh, with every ounce of respect to this film, I, I, I'm just yeah. really, as an observation. Okay, so we basically see um, uh, two characters, two new characters, Jeff and Sandra, arrive in town. Uh, they go to pay uh, to a payphone, and they find uh, to find out where the directions are to go to this uh, camp that they're supposed to be heading to, and they're startled by Crazy Ralph again from the first film, mm. who uh, prophesizes doom again before doing his stick race, then cycles off. <laughs> it's like his mm. his go to calling card, uh, and then a tow truck. While they're distracted, a tow truck takes their ride away, but it's revealed that it's just their friend Ted playing with them, having a laugh. Yeah, so we have, we've got another one of these like um, 
characters a bit similar to the first film as well that sort of are goofing around and you know not really taking things seriously um so then they uh, they drive off to the the three of them drive off to the new camp on the way there they discover discover a fallen tree um and as they're moving it the kids are being watched from uh, an un- unseen observer um sandra finds a sign that says camp crystal lake which is a then you know just lying in the shrubs on the floor uh, and that's the name of the the lake from the first uh, first film. They drive off again, and then uh, as they do so, they are still being watched. At the new camp, we are met. Uh, we meet all the new camp counselors, including the wheelchair bound Mark, uh, a girl called Vicky, a guy called Scott, and another and another girl called Terry. Who proves? I've written here. Who proves that tight shorts were a thing back even then? <laughs> God damn it. I didn't notice that. They, they, there was a very long, lingering shot yeah. in those shorts. Oh, and man. Yeah, I, I know it was supposed to be a POV from like that or a character, but that cameraman must have been hey. having a great time. I reckon. Yeah. I reckon. It just made me think, <laughs> those, like... Those shorts didn't leave much to the imagination. No way. No way. That's right. <laughs> um, so the, the, we have the head counsellor character. He's a guy that happens to be called Paul as well. Um, he gathers everyone together, and then we have our what will be our heroine character Ginny turning up in a crappy convertible. Um, Paul gives her a lecture, but it's soon evident that they are something of an item. In the in the next scene, um, it's night, and the counselors are sitting around the campfire, and Paul starts to tell the boogeyman story of Jason. Um, Ted jumps out on them at this point, scaring them all whilst wearing a mask and brandishing a spear. Um, later that night, so again, proving Ted's a bit of a goofball character. Later that night, Ginny and Paul hook up. Um, and they're being watched, but it's not who we think it is. It's actually Crazy Ralph. Oh, as it pans Ralph. back. And um, it looks like he's probably just turned up to warn them again, like he did last time. But... Really, he should have been looking out for himself because he's at this point garroted around the neck and killed. Take the bad wire, and that's it, gone. So we've gotten rid of two of the survivors from the original film. The next morning, we get a POV shot walking through the woods as our campers are having fun. So again, this kind of sense of being watched. Ginny also senses that she's being watched, and and in this in this instance, and I know this film came later. Um, but when I'm re-watching it, this film, this moment, this scene reminded me of Predator um, when they're in the jungle and, you know, the Predator's watching them. And we get um, mm. Duke's character kind of... Oh, is it Duke? No. Uh, no uh, oh, what's the uh, what's the uh, Native American character's name? Oh, that's going to bug me now. Anyway, where he suddenly stops and he can kind of sense yeah uh, that there's a would-be predator in 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 the, in the woods and Ginny almost gets this similar kind of sense going on yeah with it um and then uh we we see this uh, we see another bit where the dog there's a dog with him and it wanders off and we see it actually go up to the killer so the pov of the killer looking down at mm. the dog and the dog looking up at it and we naturally just presume the dog's dead at this point yeah because it's seen the killer um yeah. And then He's we, tell. yeah, yeah, exactly. He'll tell them. <laughs> There's a killer in the woods. Dog <laughs> goes running back and. Rup, rup, rup. There's a killer in the woods. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, um, so then we go back to Jeff and Sandra, the, the kind of obvious couple in, of the group at this stage, and they decide to kind of make a bit of a walk, a wander off, and go to Camp Crystal Lake. Um, we see all the others chilling by the lake, um, and as Jeff and Sandra go and investigate, they're rumbled by the local sheriff, who then brings them back to the camp. And he tells Paul to be a bit more careful with his offsiders, but Paul just seems a bit like you know kids. Kids are just kids, and he's happy for them to just mess around. He doesn't see the need for them to be disciplined in any way. Um, whilst driving along, as the sheriff goes off, he he's driving along, and the sheriff sees someone dart off into the woods, so he gives chase. He discovers that there's an old shack, and goes inside, and this is where he disguised... Dis, this is, and when he goes inside, he discovers something that's off-camera um, that shocks him, and just at that moment, he then gets impaled through the head with a hammer. Right. And a really nice, nice death scene, I thought. 
Yeah, I thought it was a good one. Yeah, and and there's something was interesting about this as well is the fact that um, or that particular death scene or the reason to killing that character off, it goes back to uh, the rules that are meant to be set up in here, like no adults, no officials, essentially. Even though um, Paul kind of sits somewhere in between an adult figure, he's still mm. he's still a young guy, and the fact that he was being rebellious to the sheriff goes to show you that yeah, rules don't count for him. So there's a really important reason or, or, or a really important thing that they do by getting rid of any uh, outside influence of the camp. Mm. So it's almost isolating them from the get-go. Um, yeah. And so that night, some of the campers head off into town to unwind and some of them decide to stay on. As some of the campers drive off, there's a shadowy figure that's seen. And I guess this is the first real... Instance, not even not on camera, but the first time we've seen Jason, yeah, um, but in shadow form as he walks it's across. It's almost like Jaws, isn't it? It's like yeah. sort of slowly creeping in of of before you eventually see him. Yeah, that's it. That's and it. Um, yeah, before the reveal, basically. Yeah. So some, um, I could see they they may have even sort of used the sort of. The staggering plot devices of uh, Steelberg for, for Jaws. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, and we come back to Jaws time and time again with how to mm. really uh, create tension when when very little is happening. Um, mm. And we again, and I say this, I've said this time and time again before on on the podcast. But for me, what makes a really good horror film is the unknown, because because we fear mm. the unknown, and the 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 more you can get away with not seeing. The uh, the killer, the would be attacker, or the entity that's stalking our victims, the the better, um, mm. in my book, because it just adds to that kind of horror dynamic, uh, makes it more. I think that's scary. what makes um, Blair Witch Project so successful. Yeah, and so scary that you never really, you never see anything. No, you never you, do. The most you see is like a pile of teeth on the floor. Yeah, and that's yeah. as gory as it gets. And yeah. and and the rest of the hour, the guy standing in in the corner, but you never really see anything. No, that's right. And it's all about like you know just screaming and imagination, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the it's the manipulation mm. of the mind, isn't it? So yeah, mm. that's good. So um. So as I said, some of these guys have gone off to into town, um, and then at this point we have the uh, Terry character who was wearing those shorts. Um, she then decides to go for a skinny dip. Um, yeah, and um, while she does so, the Scott character providing the eye candy for the film. Yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, you have to have titilla- you have to have titillation, time. and she's the one yeah. that's. Serving the goods at this point. Um, <laughs> we, um, we have the... Uh, actually, what I was surprised about here wasn't just t- tits. It was full frontal nudity. Yeah. Um, which I kind of was a bit, oh, okay. Um, wasn't expecting that because to me it's normal. I think it was so funny when I was a kid actually watching this because yeah. I saw this probably when I was about 12 years old and sitting there, my, my, I watched it with my parents yeah. and I think I was more embarrassed about... The, the woman in the bus than I was about the brutal killing <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I was more sort of disturbed by that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and sitting in a room with net nudity that's right absolute slaughter I, I think that's I think that's a very that's a very uh, British thing though isn't it like mm. sex is so taboo and yet like violence and even America sex is taboo um, whereas mm. violence you can kind of get away with a lot more um than you would with sexual gratification, uh, which yeah. is, is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because you think it would be the other way around, um, because it's um, it's, uh, there's that famous quote by um, Jack Nixon I love. He goes, uh, "Kiss a tit and get an R rating. Hack it off and get a PG." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. It's so true because it's like yeah. like there's this. Um, I don't know what what that's about. It's kind of a, this dumbing down effect, isn't it? And and sexual sex is is seen as taboo. I, I guess what mm. like it's weird because sex is a natural thing, whereas whereas violence is an unnatural thing. Mm. Not yet, survival. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. Bible is extremely violent. Yeah. And it's extremely okay. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. every time there's a sex in the, in the Bible, it's, it's frowned upon. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. But yeah. Uh, and Americans pretty much are, you know, fundamentalist Christians, most of them. Yeah, so. that, that's right. That's yeah. exactly right. It's what, what it's, it was born on, on that religion. Mm. You know, and with the Bible, it's all everyone begetting each other, which is, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is always fun. Um, okay, so... Um, so yeah, she's doing a bit of a nudie dip, and the guy Scott character steals some of her clothes. Um, and then, as he's running off with them, he gets himself caught in a, a trap rope. And Terry goes off to find something to cut the rope down. While she's gone, Jason sneaks up and slits his throat with a machete. Um, no, yeah. There's an important bit about this which has been observed. Like with that, if you watch it. He slit his throat is slit with the blunt end, blunt side of the machete. Yeah, um, which is <laughs> yeah. Ah, there you go. It's, it's not the greatest makeup effect. Um, it's not. What's no. the safe wasn't working on this one, was he? No, um, no, no. He was. Uh, he'd gone on to. I think pretty. I um, could be wrong, but I think he was working on, on another movie. Oh gosh, I may have it in my notes. So I may have to go back to it. But he he went on to do another movie, The Burning. I think it was The, oh, yeah. the Burning. So he was he was starting that project. He turned this down to do The Burning, essentially. Yeah. I think. From you know, that. I still haven't seen The Burning. Oh really? Um, yeah, because it was banned in the UK. Remember? Oh, it, it yeah, of course. Banned on, on VHS. Yeah. And yeah. I never I never got around to seeing it. And it was just like I think it was on one day on Foxtel. Yeah. And yeah. and it had Holly Hunter in it. Like it was got Holly Hunter in it. That's right. That's and right. I never actually got around to actually watching it. I was like, oh, I'll record that. And then I didn't watch it. So <laughs> I'll, I, it's it's one of those you know I will get around to watching it one day. Yeah. But I've heard it's pretty pretty full on. So. Yeah, well, um, and you you wouldn't you wouldn't expect anything less with with Savini attached to it, you know. Like, yeah. You're gonna get gore where where it's realistic yeah, yeah. and bloody <laughs> in a good way. Um. So um. So we then um. We go back to the on, on the nar- narrative here. So we've seen Scott killed off. We go back to the camp and we see Jeff and Sandra starting to get it on. Vicky starts flirting with Mark. So it's all a bit of kind of a boom chicka wow wow kind of stuff going on. Um, Kids in there all night. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And then uh, <laughs> Terry, Terry then goes. Terry, the n- nudie short girl, she goes back. She goes, you know, she goes searching for um, something to cut down uh, the rope with in in her apartment. But then she goes back to find Scott. Only to discover that he's been killed. And she runs off screaming, and it's alluded that she's killed off screen. We don't actually see her be killed. Um, we yeah. just see her scream. Um, out in the town, um, Ginny um, uh, philosophizes about Jason, uh, you know, if he's a real person. Um, I think there's a, supposed to be a bit of a background to her character where she's been studying uh, psychology and stuff, so she's, uh, she's got, right. she's got smarts and wits about her. Yeah, mm. that's right. Um, so she starts philosophizing about it, but the rest of the other people just kind of shoot her down and just kind of think it's a bit stupid. They're a party, dude. That's right. Yeah. Back at the camp. They don't want to get down. Yeah, we don't want to get serious. Come on, let's drink. Come on, Debbie Downer. Come on, Ginny Downer. <laughs> <laughs> um, back at the camp, Vicky goes to freshen up. Uh, once again, she's being watched. Um and there's a bit of misdirect here as we see her go to the car for something and you kind of feel like she's going to get killed off at this point. Um, meanwhile, Mark, he, he's back at the, uh, you know, the, the main cabin and he hears a noise outside and he goes to see what it is, only to have a machete thrust into his face, spiraling backwards and down some stairs. Nice. And it's probably one of the most memorable kill scenes from this film. Uh, because... <laughs> Because he's a... It ends on a freeze frame as well. It ends uh, on a freeze like a, frame, yeah. There's a, it's a really... Uh, not only do we kill somebody who's uh, inflicted anyway, um, which mm. is a bit of a frowned on thing. What? They killed the wheelchair guy. Um, yeah. What and then, 
but he's probably got the most brutal death in the sense that he has a yeah. machete in his face, <laughs> and then it, and, the and that obviously great. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And obviously that great stunt of coming down those those stairs, mm. which the stuntman obviously did, and it it looks really good um, mm. and effective. One of the things as well is that, that that when the girl goes off, when his little bit goes off to yep. get changed, she goes. She says the infamous words, "I'll be right. I'll be right back." She does. And so you know that's it. Yeah, that's gone. It. She's gonna die. Post. But I do, what I do, I do really like the misdirect here because 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 uh, that now that is a staple line that you never say. You think you mm. think she's going to get killed straight straight away as we follow her. Yeah. But then we cut obviously back to the cabin and we see someone else get killed instead. So uh, after his death, we go back to uh, Sandra and I forgot his name, Phil, wasn't it? Can we say Jeff? Sorry. So we go back to Sandra and Jeff, and they're deep in the throes of making love. Uh, when in walks Jason, who picks up a spear and shoves the spear through them both, killing them outright. Um, two for the price of one. Two for the price of one. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> now, what I do want to add at this point here, we don't actually see them be speared in the cut. What we see is uh, the spear go up and we see the shot from under the bed as the spear goes through. Mm. And we're seeing, uh, obviously, Sandra's reaction to this as it's happening. The original edit was in the film, um, but the scene was cut down from the, the cut out of the movie because um, it was denied by the, uh, you know, by the uh, board because it was deemed oh, too, too yeah. graphic. Uh, and I, I was watching the extras and I forget who it was. Somebody was talking about, um, he, he was one of the guy, one of the guys from the film anyway, and he was invited over to, uh, the special effects guru's house, and he said, "Oh, do you want to come come over and watch watch it?" And they're they're over there watching it, and the scene's there, and he was like, "What the hell was that? I've never seen that before." Um, and he said, "Yeah, it got cut out, and it was it was quite a, a, a cool shot, and it was their way of upping the ante from that famous Kevin Bacon spear through the yeah throat thing. They wanted to do something similar and, and make it more gory. Um, so it's kind of a shame that we don't get to see that. Um, yeah, yeah." I may have written it in my notes, but it's uh, it did get told. It was told that it got um, uh, accused of being that scene was accused of being stolen um, from another movie. I want to say, oh, I haven't got it written down there. It was one of the uh, the Italian giallo, um, you know, films. Um, the guy, and my mind's just gone blank, but the guy that did the um, uh, the Beyond. Uh, was it Fulci, Luigi Fulci? Anyway, um, anyway, it was. Uh, there's a scene from that where similar similar shots there, and nobody knew about it. They were just like, "What? Okay." And they and Sean Cunningham was talking about it, going, "I've since seen that film," and I'm like, "Oh, okay." But they didn't know it, it existed. Well, it alleges that they didn't know that yeah, that scene yeah. existed. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I just thought that was an interesting thing. So it's a shame that it, we're deprived of seeing that. Yeah. In this instance, because I reckon that would have been a cool, cool scene. Um, in town, we get uh, Paul and Ginny are deciding to head back uh, into camp while Ted parties on. He's such a he's such a party goer, that Ted. Um, <laughs> we then go back to the camp again, and Vicky returns to the cabin, and this is where she finds the impaled Sandra and Jeff. And then, for the first time, this is when we see Jason. And he jumps out from the bed, brandishing a sack over his head, essentially, is what he's got like a potato sack over his head. So this is not the hockey mask Jason that we now know. This is no. potato sack Jason Jason. Um <laughs> and he the swipes down Jason. <laughs> That's it. Um he swipes a knife at Vicky, who stumbles back into the corner. Jason slowly walks up to Vicky before stabbing and killing her. Um so, yeah, she shouldn't have said, I'll be right back. And she shouldn't have gone back. <laughs> yeah. In this instance. So, yeah. And no, back to back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of a lot of people killed very quickly in this instance. Um, mm-hmm. We then get uh, Paul and Ginny coming back to the camp. And this is when they discover the intruder. Um, and there's a bit of a fight that breaks out between Paul and Jason. And Ginny kind of looks on a bit helpless at this stage. Um, she doesn't really know what's happened and all of a sudden Jason pops up and he starts to advance on her uh, but she makes uh, her escape 
uh, to make her escape through a window before Jason smashes it. Uh, she runs off, and while Jason thrusts a pitchfork through through the door, so again, this kind of farmer kind of thing going on, mm. um, Ginny escapes through an, a different window, um, and then has to kind of like climb a bit like there's a bit in Scream that's a bit like this, where you know where Nev Campbell gets up into the attic, and then has to climb yeah. out of the building and then down. So a very similar thing where Ginny is on the roof and has to kind of scramble down and run off. <clears throat> mm. um, so then, um, get up to a high place type thing. So. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so she she makes it to her car, but it doesn't start. Um, and at this point, we see uh, Jason outside the car, and then a pitchfork comes tearing through the canvas roof. Somehow, Ginny makes her escape through the woods while Jason goes in pursuit. Ginny finds herself to a cabin where she hides under a bed and she tries to escape again, but a fight breaks out. Um, and she manages to grab the chainsaw that she was using from a, a earlier scene and knock Jason to the ground before fleeing again. What I find interesting about this particular scene is when she's hiding under the bed, she, uh, she does she pee herself? I think yeah, uh, yeah, she does, not she she pees herself. And just as, just as Jason's it's, about to go out, the rat, because the, the rat comes near. That's it. Sorry, I was going to say, yeah, there's a rat that comes under, isn't there? Under under the bed. And, and she look, just... Pees herself a bit. For some reason, seeing a bunch of people dead and killed kill and stuff is fine, but as soon as you see the rat, she just loses control. <laughs> That's it. It's all, about, it's all about that rat. Um, yeah, she goes, she goes a bit nuts uh, and pees herself. And so Jason's, at this point, looking like he's about to leave, and it kind of, he does a bit of a look back in the room, and then we cut back to Ginny under the bed again, and she's presuming he's gone. And when she climbs out, he's standing on a chair with the yeah. pitchfork raised up. But you kind of, uh, this is a bit, I guess, a bit of a the the dumb uh, the dumb killer moment. The chair kind of collapses under him, and he, you know, <laughs> Gets away, she gets away, but he's not, he's not the Jason that he becomes. No, he's not sure. the Jason he becomes. It's kind of a foolish moment, for him. yeah. It's a bit odd, oh, God. and also really, because, like, Jason, <laughs> yeah. And like, if he if he knows she's under the bed, he would just kill her, yeah. <laughs> why do you yeah. why go through the pretense of pretending you're not there and standing yeah. on a on a chair? <laughs> I'm here, <laughs> yeah. I did find that I one. Did you like my rat? Um, so, um, so yeah, she. Makes everybody pee. <laughs> so she, she, she makes good her escape again uh, through the woods, and um, this is where, sorry, this is where she then comes across the old shack from the uh, where the sheriff was before, um, and uh, this is where she finds, you know, there's the dead body of Scott and Terry in there, um, and lest we forget, also the head of Mrs. Voorhees. Um, as Jason um, tries to break his way inside, Ginny take, takes an interesting turn here by putting on Mrs. Voorhees' old jumper and pretends to be her. Um, so kind of tapping into that kind of psychology thing that we were talking about earlier. And then we get uh, the Betsy Palmer cameo with, a, with her doing the uh, kind of a, an hallucinogenic uh, vision of, from Jason's point of view where he actually mm. thinks he's seeing his mum. And just as it looks like he's um, falling for the rouge, he spies the head of his real mum um, behind her, and then he goes to um, to stop Ginny attacking him, essentially. And uh, Just when it looks bad, Paul then reappears, and a fight breaks out where they scuffle. Ginny grabs the machete and thrusts it into Jason, who collapses to the ground. Uh, Paul and Ginny then head back to the camp, presuming him to be dead. Um, at the camp, they hear a noise from outside, but it turns out to be Muffin, the dog. Yeah, we thought the dog was dead, but he comes pieces. back. Yeah. yeah. So what was the mangled piece of fur? And... Well, that's what... It, ah, but... Okay, here's, and let's hold that thought for a second, okay? Because uh, just at that point, we start to get that kind of music swelling up, very similar to the first movie, where we think everything's all well and good. Mm. and And then... Jason smashes through the window and he pulls Ginny through. Mm. And then we crash to white and then back 
to the screen again to reveal Ginny on a stretcher being pulled into an ambulance and she's asking for Paul. We then go back to the shack and we zoom in on the head of Mrs Voorhees before the screen snaps to black and we close credits. Now the reason why I said hold that thought, it's a bit of an odd ending. Um, so, one, what happened to Paul? Because mm. we never know what happens to him. Two, Ginny seems to be okay, but obviously on a stretcher for some reason. We don't actually know how she got on the stretcher. Yeah. There's a lot of police and ambulance there. How, who called them out? How did they get there? Um, and and the dog incident. Yeah. What who what was with the mangled dog at the uh, earlier on in the film that we saw? Uh, who was it? It was Jeff, wasn't it? And Sandra, I think, come across the mangled dog. Yeah. In the woods, because you kind of presume it's dead, right? Yeah. So, which has gotten a lot of people saying that the end bit is all a dream. Mm. And it's not actually, none of that occurred. So the point where it stops proper is where they kind of stab him with the machete and head back, yeah. to, the, head back to the cabin. And then we get this kind of very odd ending that occurs. Um, where, I mean, so what did happen to Paul then? Exactly. Where, where is he? Yeah. We don't know. It's like, it's really odd. It's just a very it odd, odd, odd end to the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what what were your initial instincts? I mean, like I know you watched it before and and you've rewatched it again. What what were your initial instincts after watching it this time round? Uh, well, the ending or the uh... oh, the whole movie, oh. just the whole movie. Whole movie. Um, look, you know, it wasn't the first one. No. Um, uh, you know, it's in the hands of a very competent director, Steve Miner. Yeah. Done bigger and better things, but um, I do. I, I have to say, it's probably it's not my favourite one. No, uh, they do get better. <laughs> yeah, they do. And, they do. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, looking at the ending, for instance, I love the beginning. The begin- beginning starts off so bloody yeah, well. It's great. Yeah. And but the ending, it is kind of quizzical, and it yeah. doesn't. There, there isn't a great deal of sense made at the end. No, it's, and, it's odd. Yeah, it, it, but, you know, it has its moments. I don't think the gore was particularly well done this time around. No. I mean, I, I think I probably thought it was um, it was fantastic because it was the first time I'd probably seen a, a horror movie sequel. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when I first saw it when I was a kid, and it was more of the same. <laughs> and um, But, yeah, it's, it's, I don't think it's as strong as the first one, definitely. No, no. First one was just such, I, a, such a classic. Yeah. And a game changer, really. That And it had just had, you know... Uh, Savini doing all the horror effects and that's right. I don't think it just didn't have the gore uh, value, yeah, in there as much as um as the first one did. But yeah, you know, and then you know the next one they did in three D. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, yeah, well, and we we'll, and we will talk about that one down the track. The uh, yeah, which I look forward to. The um so my my uh, for my uh, fifty cents worth. Um, you're right. I completely agree with you in the sense that it's not that definitely doesn't marry up to the first one. Um, the gore factor feels uh, less, um, and probably because, well, not probably, it's because Savini's not attached to it. Mm. Savini's such a master of his craft, and it was definitely uh, noted. His absence was noted. Yeah. I wonder how much. Uh, was actually cut out because it sounds like they did do a lot of stuff, but the good stuff didn't actually make the final cut. Because the killing starts quite late as well. Yeah, like that's right. An hour into it before the first person gets killed. Yeah, yeah. and and then it just it's wrapped up within about twenty minutes. Yeah, that's, that's it. Nice. Everyone kind of gets really killed quick. off very quickly, don't they? Mm. Uh, like there's four like killings within like ten minutes, you know, which is mm. fairly quick. Um, what I will say, though, is that um, I do get the sense um, that Miner was having fun with this movie, and mm. and you do get a, you do get that feeling of, of of that it's it's a bit of a that that everyone's having a good good time on it, you know, and there is yeah. this kind of energy about it, which does echo what happened in the first film. There, you know, we get talked, you know, people that were in the film, cast and crew alike, talk about the enjoyment of making the film and we you get this feeling of that continuing in this one um, yeah. 
So let's uh, let's quickly just talk. Uh, look at the uh, the the actors and uh, the play. You know, the makeup, the cast. Um, our lead is played by, uh, which was Ginny, and she was played by Amy Steele. Following this movie, she would go on to star in a TV series of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Uh, she had appearances in Family Ties, Chips, The A-Team, and Quantum Leap. Um, she would, though, however, return to the horror scene in 1986 with April Fool's Day. Oh, nice. Which is a classic in its own right. Yeah. Um, she's um, often looked back on, like people, the fans of, uh, of the Friday the 13th franchise, often look back at her and... Say she was probably the strongest of the of the of the survivors or the screen queens throughout mm. the franchise. There's a lot of likability around her character. Mm. Um, I think I agree too. I think she's she's a likable person in this. Um, yeah. She's a, she's flawed, but she's openly flawed about her flaws. If that makes sense, mm. um, yeah, she knows yeah. she knows she's not perfect, uh, and yet there is, as I said, a lot of smarts about her too. Yeah, she's not a bimbo, and she's, no. you know, she's pretty adequate yeah. and, and resourceful in in the situation. So, that's right, that's right. Um, you know, the hiding under the bed is just a bit stupid, and yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff was a bit stupid, but, um, that's right. yeah, the actor was pretty clever, especially when she dons the jumper and, and tries yeah, to, like you know, that. reason with, with Jason, which is incredibly brave and, and you know, smart as well. Yeah, yeah, so, that's right. Like, she'd already got his number before... Before she'd even met him, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. or anything that ever actually happened. That's right. So, yeah. And as you know, I'm a fan of psychological horror, and this that made mm. kind of started leaning more into that territory where you play with the mind a bit, which I which I love. Mm. Cool. No, she was good. Um, so uh, joining her was uh, the I was going to say the other survivor, but we don't know if he survives or not. Paul. Uh, yeah. He's played by John Fury. Um, he would appear in Logan's Run. Um, the oh, TV nice. series of Logan's Run, sorry. Um, he also cropped up in Chips, uh, The Waltons, Cheers, TJ Hooker, LA Law, ER, NYPD Blue, CSI, and Days of Our Lives. Lovely. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's. I, I don't know if there's an, anything to really add to his character in this. Um, he plays two, uh, well, three, I guess, three, three roles in this. One, He's the uh, the only adult like figure that's mm. that's in it, and you kind of have to have one of those people in there. Mm. Two, he's um, he's a rebellious leader, so he doesn't play by the rules. And and th- what was the third? The love interest. Sorry, that was yeah. it. And 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 yeah, with that obviously comes the protective male. Mm. Um, point of view so he's kind of ticking the box a few of the boxes there of, of what you would expect in a horror film but you know he doesn't have much in the way of his performance that needs to be um that makes him stand out in any way he doesn't have to ever extend himself no that's right he range isn't challenged exactly that's exactly <laughs> it um so let's move on to adrian king as we know who returns for the role of alice um we we saw in the first film. Um, supposedly, her agent had asked her uh, asked for more money um, in the return of this, and um, which is she denies, um, and people want were then like because of that. Uh, there's talks that that may have been why her part was cut down to just the beginning. I think Steve Miner's kind of just said that it was all that was always part of the game plan so i think from his point of view that was already the thing but i think she came into it not knowing really she's basically said uh that she didn't know again the script was kind of being written as it was going sort of thing again i think she came in with the impression that she'd be needed for longer i think she was only there for two days of the shoot um very very quick and she was saying she improved all the lines that were in it, essentially. Um, yeah. So the, yeah, the kill scene was shot in one night. Um, and interestingly, the props weren't checked and Adrian actually had her head impaled with the screwdriver taken to the hospital. Um, yeah. So that's, (laughs) uh, when they don't check props. Um, 
so look, I it does sound like there was a lot going on in her life at that time. There was a lot, as I kind of spoke about earlier, and there's a lot of incidents that I think may have warped people's view of her when she came on set. Because mm. um, a lot of people kind of felt that she was a bit standoffish. And I, um, I don't know her, but I wonder whether that a lot of that was just stuff that she was going through at the time, yeah. um, which would naturally impact on her, you know. Um, but I, 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 again, she was a likable character in the first one, and I do like her in this, in this too. Yeah. I think she's probably the most likable for being. She was the most likable character in this particular one. Yeah, and she certainly had the best, you know, death scene of. Yeah. Like she's got one of the most memorable death scenes of the whole franchise. Yeah, so that's right. So, I mean, I've always remembered that sort of that spike through the the the, the temple. Yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. Quite a quite a horrific way to die, basically. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. I, I, and I think I said I think I said on record that I really liked her in the first one, and I and I like the character yeah. again here. It's a good character. Mm. Um, I do agree that she. Uh, she might not agree, but I do agree that it was right that she got killed off. I think it was a really, yeah. it was a good moment. Um, yeah, I think so too. And it gave it gave the the writers or the creators a chance to, as I say, clean the slate. And because we start moving into we start moving into mystical territory with Jason, mm. um, you know, rather than being the uh, as the first film was very much. I mean, it wasn't Definitely Jason. Healthy. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was, this we're now kind of put, uh, pulling down the reality walls and. Uh, and you're kind of allowed to kind of go a bit free with it, and you, in order to do that, you kind of need to start from scratch with it. In a sense, yeah, feels like that's what they're doing. Um, the other, yeah, t- they pre- pre- seem to press a reset button here. Yeah, and exactly. Pretty much, you know, just said, oh no, 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 no he, it, it, he was really alive. Yeah, yeah, the whole time. But where was where was the child? Yeah, yeah that's it. it was the mum looking after him the whole time because she was on this revenge thing because yeah. her son had died and what was he doing was bringing himself up in a shack somewhere in the woods <laughs> that's right he's yeah. raised by wolves um, yeah like yeah it does There, that's always been the question mark that's never been answered about about Jason <clears throat> as in like where did he where, what was he doing did he so hold on did he drown or not drown did people think yeah. he drowned and he actually <laughs> survived yeah um, you know, and then lived in the woods as <laughs> some kind of... And it's it's kind of brushed over there. No, 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 don't need to worry about that. No, just look, look, it's Jason. It's just Jason, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Love it. So the other two uh, actors that return um, from the original, uh, Betsy Palmer, as I said, uh, playing Mrs. Voorhees, returns for some of those the quick narratives with Jason um, towards the end of the film. And we also have Walt Gourtney returning as Crazy Ralph, uh, reprising his role. Um, and as I, I think I mentioned this last time, he does have an uncredited role as playing the narrator in Friday the 13th Part 7, uh, The oh. New Blood, as well. Yeah, so it's kind of nice to see that. It's, that's always the way, particularly franchises, you bring some of the past survivors back, but you know that oh. they're going to be killed, or, or, in, or in this case with Betsy Palmer's role, it's a vision from the past, or, or an, elus- oh. uh, uh, an illusion. Um, <clears throat> but then um, the other, so moving on and away from those, we have Warrington Gillette, Gillette coming, who plays Jason in this film. Um, he's been off the radar since the movie, bar a couple of uncredited roles, but often resurfaces for these conventions that get get put together. Do we want to talk about his adaptation of Jason? Uh, I thought it was quite weak, really. Yeah, so yeah. But look, you know, Kane Hodder brings this. Well, behemoth basically. Yeah, that's it. He's like you know, it's it's as if a, a, a normal pl- person played the mountain in yeah, Game yeah, of Thrones, yeah. you know, and and then you just compare the two. Yeah, uh, like the, the guy who actually did play the mountain and and some like normal looking guy, maybe yeah. me playing the mountain. <laughs> you just gotta go. No, it just it's just yeah. not working. No, no, that's right. But yeah, is that, the you're Kane right. Hodder just made the. Yeah. No, he was, he was Jason. He's so. Jason through and through, that's right. And that's why it is hard watching this one back again, mm. knowing or having watched Kane perform as, as Jason, as he mm. has done for countless films. Um, yeah, I agree. He didn't really ever come... Like, the makeup effects on, on his face was, was interesting. When, the, when mm. we do get the mask uh, that comes off, yeah, that yeah. was kind of cool. I mean, that's not down to him, obviously. That's down to the makeup, but... 
Um, I thought that con- continued the theme of him being deformed. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just found I found it all a bit. Yeah, yeah. very good. <laughs> um, so yeah, so then we have um, Stuart Charno plays Ted, um, and he's the one uh, labelled as the one who got away. So he's the kid that stays in the bar. Um, which is a life lesson for us all. Yeah. Always stay in the bar. Just stay in the bar. <laughs> stay in the bar, man. <laughs> Can't get much much better than that. Um, hey, they learned it in Shaun of the Dead too. They went. That's why they went straight to that pub. <laughs> they went that's straight to the Winchester. Knew. They'd be safe in the Winchester. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Um, they watched some horror films. <laughs> <laughs> They've seen this. <laughs> um, so, so Stuart would also appear in horror vehicles, Svengali, he was in Christine, uh, was in a film called Once Bitten, and he was also in Stephen King's Sleepwalkers as well. Oh, uh, cool. So someone that is no stranger to horror, let's say. Um, and as we rattle through some of the other cast members, we'll just kind of label them, um, just to kind of uh, give them a nod. We've got Marta Koba, who plays Sandra. She would also be in uh, a couple of horror movies, Neon Maniacs and Slumber Party Massacre 3. Um, we have Tom McBride, who played the role of Mark. He uh, he passed away at a young age, actually. He's actually very good in this from memory. I liked his, yeah. his part because he's the jock in it, essentially. But yeah. he's, he's, um, his, his character is very kind of melancholic. In a way, mm-hmm. but still ambitious about pursuing uh, being being an athlete, even though he's wheelchair bound. Um, yeah. There was a lot I liked about that character. There was a bit more depth than some of the others that were in there. Let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have uh, Bill Randolph, who plays the role of Jeff. Um, mm. He had uh, not done a lot really. He had a, uh, I think he's more theatre bound again, but he had a small role in Dress to Kill. Um, but outside of that, not really much. Um, and then we have Lauren Marie Taylor, who plays Vicky, um, as well, of, of the main kind of, I guess, four. Obviously, we've also got uh, a couple more. We've got Russell Todd, who plays Scott. Um, now, not really surprisingly, because he's got the, the chisel jaw, and he kind of very, kind of, he looks very uh, American, you know, the all-American kind of guy, essentially. So no surprise he crops up in The Young and the Restless and The Bold mm-hmm. and the Beautiful. Um, but he was in another horror film called Chopping Mall, which I just oh, love yeah. that title. Um, yeah, very, very cool. Um, and something I, I just really I've seen that one actually. Uh, it's it's definitely one I've seen at the video store many times. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, cool. And then, so they're, they're the main of the main actors in the, in the piece. But um, when you start looking to the people behind the camera, we obviously got as we've mentioned Steve Miner taking on directorial duties for this. Um, we've spoken about him before. I don't know if, if people, if listeners out there remember, but um, he was the production assistant on Last House on the Left, the Wes Craven That's and Sean right. Cunningham film. Um, he was also the associate producer on the the original Friday the 13th, so he's slowly going up here. And then he takes on you know the directing duties of this film and the 3D sequel, Friday the 13th Part 3, is his baby as well. Um Following that, he would then direct more comedy horror in the likes of House. Um, he would Very he would so. direct Soul Man. Mm. Did you ever watch that? Awful I, film. Huh? Yeah, terrible film. Oh, it's awful. I remember watching it's it as a, a so kid. Racist. Oh, it's totally. Absolutely revolting. Absolutely. It's, I, I, completely I remember I liked it first. The first time I saw it, I was like, oh, this is all right. Because yeah. I think I just saw The Outsiders at the time, cause it, and it had C. Thomas Howell in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, this is all right. And then I went, actually, you know what? This is, this is really racist. Yeah. It's like Very taking the so. piss out of affirmative action. Which is something that a program that they kind of need, they well, they still need yeah. in in parts of America, yeah. and they've just really just exploited that whole what it takes to be a black person. And yeah. I don't know, it was just, yeah, it's something it just doesn't sit right. No. But it was incredibly successful at the time. It was. I remember watching it, and I was young. I think from the from memory at the time, mm. and I watched. I had the poster actually. Thought it was funny. Mm. Um, I mean, I was young, as I said, but then when I, you know, as I said. Rewatched it later in my in my life, mm. and was a 
was appalled. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe it. Um, anyway. It's like watching Benny Hill now. Like, oh, yeah, you just kind of go, oh my same. God, this is awful and it's so, racist. So that, aside, yeah. so that aside, he would also direct uh, Warlock, uh, mm. Forever Young, Classic. My, my Father the Hero, uh, yeah, Big, Big Bully, and then he would take on another horror franchise, Halloween, with Halloween Hates 2 2 that was 20, good. I 20 like years that one. later. Yeah, I liked it too. Mm. I did like that one. Yeah, yeah. well, it's Kevin Williamson did the script. Yeah, so. I know, I know. Um, mm. But he would also do Lake Placid. Oh, nice. And Day of the Dead. So he picked up another horror franchise film. Oh, is the that remake. The one that was done a couple Sorry. of years ago? Yeah, so, so stress. Yeah, the I remake. haven't seen that. I've heard it's Day awful. Of the Dead. Yeah, no, it's not great. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is a shame because the Dawn of the Dead remake was actually very good. I thought it was a mm. good, it was a good attempt. That was brilliant. Yeah, at, um, at doing that franchise, and you were kind of hoping that that would carry on through if they were going to do that, and unfortunately, didn't work in that instance. Um, I, I think as I think we've kind of spoken about Miner's role in this film, and I and I like it. I think he does he does really well um, in this movie. It's just not on par with the original. Mm. Um, um, but the other uh, person to just mention from behind the camera was the editor, which was a certain Susan Cunningham. The surname might be uh, <laughs> a bit of a giveaway because uh, she was the partner to Sean Cunningham and mother to their two children, um, Noel and Jessica. She would also edit Spring Break, another uh, <laughs> another <laughs> Sean Cunningham film, which wasn't so successful. Music, again, was supplied by Harry Man. I can never say surname. Harry Manfredini as well. So the killer, you know, the killer signature theme tune that's played throughout. Mm. We get a few kill factors in this. We've got Alice's death, Crazy Ralph's death. We get the sheriff's death, Scott's death, which I mentioned was done by the dull side of a machete. Mm. Mark's death with the wheelchair, you know, going down the stairwell. Sandra and Jeff's death, which is the spear through. Um, oh, there you go. I've written it here. Never. Um, We've never seen it, obviously, that's that particular bit, but it was Mara uh, Barber, and it was a film called Twitch of the Death Nerve that he oh, did. Oh, I've heard of that one, yeah. And there's a similar kind of spear scene in that. Oh, okay. Um, and we have Vicky's death as well. So they're mm. the deaths that we see on camera. Um, which of those do you think, were any of those real standout moments? Were some of them weak? What were your thoughts on, on them? I mean, I, 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 mean, I like the... Um... I've said before, I like the um, the first death with the um, what's her face, Alice, uh, yes. Adrian King, yeah, and um, and I, I, yeah, I like the wheelchair guy getting yeah. smashed in the face by um, the machete. That was quite good, but there wasn't really that. I mean, it didn't have the gore factor no. that the previous film yeah, right. have had, and and the films have afterwards basically yeah yeah so um yeah so i found them a little bit weak and a bit sanitized really yeah um i agree i it's funny because i i did see the um the i watched the theatrical trailer that's on the dvd that i've got and uh it's quite a clever little trailer actually because usually the trailers back then were very you know just told you the, the whole fucking story basically yeah 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 and um and that was pretty much it they weren't invented at all but this one is like the guy's like counting off so 19 <laughs> 20 and then just starts shows you a hint of these people dying basically yeah, yeah, yeah. it's counting the body counts bigger <laughs> and goes off and it's 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 great trailer it's yeah it's actually one of the the, the clever <laughs> promo trailers um from that that i've seen that date back from you know that, that particular sort of yeah that's horror right. actually like the the trailer for the first film does something very similar mm. where it counts from one to 13 and it uh, makes oh, you, that's right and it makes you think that there are 13 deaths in that film but there's not yeah <laughs> But there you go. But, I mean, the fact is that because, as I said, the trailers weren't really incredibly inventive no, at that no, time. No, no, no. So we've, we've come a long actually, way since. And, and you know, being a being a promo producer, yeah, yeah, I actually look at that type of thing and go, you know, what, that is actually quite clever. For yeah, the, yeah, the historical yeah. factor um, yes. that they were actually they they knew how to sell these franchises. Yeah, and yeah. I think that the horror ones was one of the first times that actually said, "You just." 
fucking around with their audience with yeah, the trailer, yeah. That's promos, it. That's trailers it. and stuff. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's no, very interesting. No, no, it is. It is for sure. Absolutely. I, I think, as I said, I, I, I liked Alice's death as well and, and Mark's death. Um, in it, mm. um, I do want to make a note. The sheriff's death was actually interesting. Oh, I don't know if he was a sheriff, or mm. but they, he gets kind of impaled through the top of the head, essentially. Mm. Um, that's kind of kind of cool. Um, when we look at the director's note, um, you know, so the original film was, you know, basically opened up the slasher film craze. Um, Sean Cunningham, as I said, bowed out, um, as did writer Victor Miller and Tom Savini. I definitely, went, I've written here, went on to do the burning. I was right. Mm-hmm. Um, the timeline is a bit dubious somehow as you know, as we said Jason is alive um, but it does stay inside that same fra- form of the original uh, yeah. we have the first time Franco Mancuso Jr. came on board as a producer now he's integral to the whole franchise he's been the guy behind it from this point onwards uh, is the reason why a new, fr- a, new uh, a new Friday the 13th gets made yeah um, Stan Winston, here's an interesting thing. Stan Winston was initially brought on for the FX duties, but withdrew due to scheduling conflicts. Makes you wonder what kind of film we would have got if he was on board. Yeah. Um, I think you probably would have seen more of Jason. Probably. The um, the hood off. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe you're right. Mm. Um, We have a lady called Ellen Lutter who was behind the costume design. And the reason I mention her is because she actually doubled up as Jason, playing his feet at the beginning of the movie. I think I mentioned about those shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that was. He designed those shorts to reveal the buttocks quite strategically. <laughs> Always comes back to those shorts. Um, we have a uh, Tony Farantino would take on the stunt duty for Jason. Um, so some of the stuff that the uh, um, Gillette couldn't. He was a stunt artist. Um, okay. Was done by this guy. You know, there's a. I, th- I get the sense from watching the uh, the extras that this Tony guy was a bit pissed off with uh, Warrington Gillette getting more of the glory of it, really, because it, it sounded like he did all the stunts. This guy, <laughs> and and he kind of says, you know, there's shots where he's got the sack on his head and he does the, you know, the cocking of the head to one side in a quizzical manner. And he said, that's him, not the other guy. And ah, right. Yeah, yeah. And so he's like, so he's basically saying the humanised. The, the feet. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Or any time he's walking across the room. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, but interestingly, though, also, he was involved in an accident where he was actually cut by the machete when defending against Ginny's attack. Um, oh, right. So he um, had to go to a hospital <laughs> to get treated for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Now, there's also an alternate ending. I don't know if you're aware of this. No. Where, so just to remind you, so we have the shot inside the shack of the two bodies and a close-up shot of Mrs. Voorhees' head. Mm. The alternate ending, her eyes open and it stares down the barrel of the camera. Oh, right. Which is what gets cut. Which is a bit odd, <laughs> if you think Why? about that. Why? <laughs> Um, Why was that needed? No, it I know. Sounded like they were just throwing everything in the kitchen sink. At exactly, the end. which just adds to, I guess, as we said, this weird confusion at the end of the film, not really knowing what to do with it. Yeah, um, just, it does sound like they just kind of st- stitched on whatever yeah. the hell they wanted at the end. Having said all that, the film itself did make twenty one point seven million dollars in box office mm. receipts, so it <laughs> it was a franchise baby, and it was a successful one. Um, yeah, it was. Like, so, final verdict on the film. What do we? Where do we think? Uh, we've already placed it pecking order below the original. Um, yeah. As a standalone vehicle. Um, well, Not terrible. No. It, but you know, I mean, it's more the progression of Jason, basically. Yeah, and, yeah. And what he eventually becomes. That's so it. So there's a means to an end to it. It's an evil At a particular time, if, if, they, if they shut it off at two, I would have thought it was probably a really shit film. Um, but because, you know, it fits into this this whole canon of yeah, yeah. the progression of Jason turning into this behemoth sort of monster That's killing right. machine. To... That you just kind of go, okay, so this is the next stage, and then he gets badder and badder yeah. and badder and badder as he gets along, and, and just turns into this 
monster, basically. Yeah, it's, you're and, right. Um, it's the it's the early stages of, mm. as you say, the evolution. We're looking at amoeba Jason here. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's not. No, quite... We had the child Jason at the end of yeah of uh, the first one, and now we've had like he's almost like the teenager yeah, Jason yeah. in this one, and then he becomes an adult in the next. In the, like next movies basically yeah, yeah. That's it. and it's ended the full sort of full on killing machine yeah no that's right that's right no cool um yeah like I yeah and I and I echo that too I, I there are there are pockets I like in it there's uh, mm. I do like Miner as a director I, I like what he brings to the genre um this yeah. is obviously his first real go at doing something though so he's learning his craft he's definitely somebody who knows his craft um, but he's it's just trying to find his voice within it, mm. um, and I feel like some instances it doesn't quite he doesn't quite hit the home runs in this, mm. this particular movie that he's looking for. Um, so yeah, look, it's an enjoyable film. I recommend people watch it. I mm. do think, in that sense, it's it is a bit of fun. Um, it's a bit, as you said, the gore factor is a bit disappointing um, that it doesn't quite tick the boxes there but no all round all round it was good I, um, I thought uh, an enjoyable film probably just mediocre not not quite peaked you know but it's no. not it's, it's in no way shit uh, no. so yeah cool alright well I think that's it buddy I think that kind yeah, of yeah. concludes our special horror film surgery on Friday the 13th part 2 keep your eyes peeled down the track as Miles and I will definitely come back and dissect the franchise further with more podcast instalments. Until then, um, we do hope you enjoy our discussions. And until next time, it's goodbye from Miles. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Music supplied by Peter Nezik. For more discussions or podcasts, head over to surgeonsofhorror.com or head over to our Facebook and Twitter sites for the latest news and updates.